it used to be that when there was snow, like this type of snow, um, there would always be panic. What do we do with the church service? Do we cancel the church service? Do we run the church service? All this panic. How are we going to communicate with all of these people? You know, whether your church is big or small, still this frustration. How are we going to, what are we going to do? What are we going to decide? And now we've got these, this technology and, you know, there's more people than normal, I'm sure, who are going to be watching on Facebook Live. Hi, everyone. Uh, you're warm and cozy, uh, but outside it's miserable. So, but you know, there are some brave souls who made it and you did not. So, but you're here in spirit and that's good. You missed the chocolatines, which the rest of the gang got. Um, so anyway, it's, it's, it's different now. People can watch using technology. Using technology, we can communicate with people really, really fast. Just this morning, I sent out a mass text telling you, yes, 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 we are on. So if you make it, you can make it. If not, you can watch on Facebook. But anyway, great to, great to be with you. And uh, we, keep, we keep the train rolling down the track, yes? So um, a couple of announcements for you before we get into the message. So I started this last week. Those of you who are in some kind of relationship that, you know, you're, maybe you're dating, maybe you're engaged, uh, maybe you're in a relationship where you're, you're with someone, you're living with someone, I'm not going to throw stones, you're married, whatever it is. You're in some kind of relationship that, it, that you know, is, you have a significant other. Um, we have an event that's coming on the 15th of um, February. It's a few weeks away, but wanted to let you know because everybody's calendar gets busy around Valentine's Day. So my gripe with Valentine's Day is it seems to be just this thing of, okay, there's going to be some sort of effort at romance uh, this weekend because that's what everybody's supposed to do. And, you know, the flowers, fl the flowers sales are through the roof and people buy chocolate and, you know, the restaurants are packed and all of this stuff. And it seems to be this, this effort to try and sort of concoct romance, uh, you know, because that's apparently the thing that people are supposed to do on Valentine's Day weekend. But what I found in working with couples over the years is that a lot of couples have no skills or very underdeveloped skills in terms of how to have a healthy and meaningful relationship with their significant other, regardless of what stage they're in uh, in, in that. And uh, they don't learn those skills. Most of the couples that, that I've dealt with over the years, who most of them being married and in crisis, the first question I ask them is, didn't anyone tell you what you were getting into when you wanted to get married? Didn't anyone tell you, hold on, you know, you, you, you're going to have a lot of things that didn't anyone warn you? Didn't you have any kind of, did you work with a pastor or a counselor or somebody before you got married? 95% maybe of the time, the answer is no. And uh, because there are skills that you need and there are things that you need to learn. So this event is going to take place at Lustuzio, which is over on uh, Tashro. Oh, maybe 10 minutes drive from here, but about an hour from here in the snow today, uh, but about 10 minutes really. And uh, it's a nice little place, got a great, great setup there with the whole thing, audio, visual, lighting, really, really nice place, perfect for this sort of thing. And we're going to make it a, a uh, bring your own dish, or we used to call that potluck style. So bring whatever food you want that night. You don't have to come with your significant other if they can't make it, but you can come. 
uh, because we're going to talk about uh, the, the most important skill in relationships, and that is communication, really any relationship this can apply to. And uh, there's uh, some great video content that we're going to be bringing in and looking at around our tables called The Crazy Cycle. And I'll play a video next week, and you'll see what it's all about. Um, so coffee and tea is in. You park behind the facility. You don't have to pay to park. Uh, but if you're bringing your kids, it is. We do want to provide childcare for you, and we're going to do that. But there is going to be a cost to that, all right? So it's $10 per child for the night. We'll look after them. We'll take care of them so that they're out of your concern, all right? They'll just be in another room. Uh, literally separated by one door. So, you know, they're, they'll be in good hands, but they'll be out of your, your concern for a little while so that you can focus um, on this whole thing. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And couples who are older, couples who are younger, couples who've been married a long time, who haven't, haven't been married a long time, couples who aren't married, couples who are dating, whatever, we all have that common affinity of relationships. We're going to have fun uh, that night. If you have kids, want to register, we'll be out in the foyer. We can handle that at the end, okay? Uh, and another announcement for you, and those of you who are watching on Facebook Live, uh, this, this, you need to watch this as well or listen to this as well. Um, we're, we're in our third year now. Can you believe that? It's, we've started our third year. And um, so we are now at the point where, drum roll please, we can actually have our first annual meeting as a church. And everyone said, who cares, right? No, an annual meeting, this is something that we were actually supposed to do. Remember, we talked about membership a, a while ago in November. So I think there's about 20 people who have said, yes, I want to be a member of this church, and we're still receiving those things. If you have your membership packet there with that one sheet of paper that you need to sign and hand back, then you can participate, vote in the annual meeting. Yes, but you know, it was a very significant thing, actually. And uh, it's going to take place on February the 3rd. I'm supposed to give you two weeks' notice of the annual meeting. So February the 3rd, all of you who have become members of this church, you need to come to it. All of you who have not, I strongly advise you to come to it as well because I'll be making a big, big announcement during the annual meeting, and I'm not going to say it until the annual meeting, okay? And it's important, and... Um, it's good, uh, but I will, be, I will be making that in the meeting, all right? So February the 3rd, it's going to be after the service, right away or more or less right away after the service. We'll come right back in here. We'll have our first meeting. I suspect it won't take very long at all, maybe half an hour, something like that. Uh, but uh, just wanted to let you know of that as well, okay? And I'm sure you're so excited about it. I'm so excited. First annual meeting, yes. Uh, on the subject of that kind of stuff, uh, I was thinking we didn't take an offering today. Um, so what we can do, being, being uh, fewer in number, uh, whatever you are giving, you can, you can uh, take care of it at the end of the service. There's baskets right over there. You can just drop it right in there if you're giving in person. Some of you, you give on Facebook, not Facebook, uh, uh, on our website through PayPal. Others of you, you know where the square is, so we'll just do it that way for now as we're kind of shorthanded uh, in terms of everybody handling that this morning, all right? Um, so I'm going to pray just kind of for that, uh, even though there's nothing really happening, I'm still going to pray, and then we'll get into our content today. So God, we thank you. Uh, we thank you that, you know what, the, the, the sun's still out there. We, we can't really see it much. 
Uh, all we see is the white stuff this morning and all of that snow and all of that wind. Uh, but God, you're still on the throne and um, you're, you're not taken by surprise by any storm. And so we thank you. We get to partner with you hand in hand and you, you use everything that we have for that, that purpose. And so we give to you, Lord, through various means, but we give to you. We pray that you would use it for the extension of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so we are in this message series called Hope in the Dark, and this is uh, part three. And I would encourage you, you can go ahead and put it on the screen. Thank you, Shania. You, I would encourage you to listen to uh, these messages if you haven't already or watch them. You, you know that they're on our Facebook page. You can also listen uh, in your car or whatever, in your headphones, through Podbean and iTunes. And um, because this is a huge, huge issue, this is the biggest issue that, that skeptical people and non-Christian people have with the Christian faith. Uh, this is the biggest challenge that Christians have with the Christian faith that they profess to believe in, because the crux of the matter is you've got, you've got God presented as an all-powerful and all-good God, and yet there are, there's an obvious problem in life because suffering is real and darkness happens. And so why didn't, did God allow it? Did God cause it? Why is he not doing anything? And this is a huge, huge issue. And it's not an, an easy issue to answer. Some people try to come up with these little pat responses and these little things that you can put on your bumper sticker of your car to answer this question. It's not answerable in that way. Um, if it were, we would stop making the bumper stickers, but we keep making them. We keep writing the books to try and answer these questions. This is one of them. It's called Hope in the Dark by Pastor Craig uh, Groeschel. I would encourage you to get a copy of this book. He does a terrific job of, of trying to break this down using the Old Testament prophet, little tiny little book that we've been talking about called Habakkuk. We sometimes say Habakkuk, but it's Habakkuk is the way that we pronounce it, all right? And so we've been going through this, this whole idea, and just for, for review, you can, you can check all this stuff out on your own online, uh, but just for review to bring us up to speed here, first some, some observations, all right? We, we need to distinguish between God and life, remember? Um, this, this runs counter to the norm. We usually, we usually perceive God through life. And so we get a glimpse of God. We get a, uh, the, our revelation of God is our life experience. This is typically the way that we do it, but we need to just stop and recognize that this is a very incomplete method of revelation because if your life is bad and you spend it in poverty, prison, sickness, disease, struggle, Whatever it is, look around the world, and that's the way that you spend your life, and that's the way that you experience your life, and that's your revelation of God is strictly through that. You're likely going to have some difficulty understanding who God is. We need to remember when we say God is good all the time, sometimes we say that in churches, uh, what this really means, right? This is not because life is good that we say God is good. Uh, we say, well, God is good in spite of what life may be. And uh, so 1 John 1, 9, God is light in him. There is no darkness at all. Point final, he's not commenting on life. He's commenting on the nature of God. We need to admit that uh, um, life is not always good. And uh, sometimes we have a really hard time with 
just saying it and stating it and admitting it, admitting that pain is real, admitting that suffering is real. This is not a lack of faith to admit it. This is not a lack of faith to say you're hurting. This is not a lack of faith to say things are not going so well. Uh, John 16, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Second Kings 13, 14, we see even Elisha, the prophet who raised the dead, who did miracles second only to Jesus in the Bible. Even him, even, even that man, he, the Bible says he got sick, he suffered, and he perished due to that sickness and that suffering. So uh, life is not always good. We need permission to question, to doubt, to struggle, to embrace. This is what the name Habakkuk means, to struggle and embrace at the same time. Faith, your faith is going to be challenged in moments of pain. Um, we see real people in the Bible face the same thing. The story in Mark chapter 9, this, this man, his, his, his only son, was, uh, was afflicted by the presence of an evil spirit. And we see how he reacted when Jesus came into the picture. And he says, he says I do believe. Help me in my, un, my unbelief. Wow, really honest. Uh, we see what Jesus does in that whole situation. Uh, and then we talked about how it's okay, just like Habakkuk does at the beginning of his book, it's okay to ask God the hard questions. You don't need to worry about whether God is going to punish you for asking him those hard questions. Um, faith is built when we, when we persevere, when we have uh, questions, when we have doubt, and you see these very direct questions that Habakkuk asks, how long will you do or not do? Why do you allow such and such? Why don't you do something to stop it? He's talking about the same issues we face today, injustice, indifference, violence, things like this. He's talking about existential kinds of questions. It's not bad to ask those questions to God. Um, Habakkuk recognizes that he, he was not God, right? He, he's able to distinguish that he's not the creator of the universe. What if he was? What if we were? I'm glad we're not. Uh, you may think it's bad outside right now, but if we were God, it would be a whole, whole, whole lot worse. We need to remember that God is not fair, at least not by our standards of fairness He's not fair. Life wasn't fair to Jesus either. Uh, and we looked at that and we looked at the whole thing of Jesus and his crucifixion and how we could say, well, life wasn't really fair to him either. Uh, this myth that we say, well, God never gives you more than you can handle. The truth is that God does give us more than we can handle and he does it often. Uh, we, we, when we trust God in our suffering, this involves a kind of full submission uh, to God and you're not gonna be able to do that unless you understand that you are given more that you can handle. That, that uh, saying is taken from a, from a passage actually about temptation. It's a little bit misquoted there. Uh, and anyway, God does respond to Habakkuk and his, his very deep questions. He doesn't hurt the prophet for asking, but the answer, and this is where we finished last week, the answer that he receives is certainly not what he expected. So, uh, we continue in the, in the little book here. It's only three, three chapters, so I would challenge you to read it. This is the kind of book that you can read over and over and over again because you're going to read it the first time, and you're not going to understand half of it. Then you're going to read it again, and you might get a little more, a little more, so hopefully I'm helping you a bit here. Um, so just some observations for today. Uh, when God answered, because he does, 
and we'll look at that in a moment, Habakkuk was listening. He was listening. You say, well, duh, <laughs> just hold on, all right? So, so he asks God, and in some Bibles, it's, a, it's actually a complaint. This isn't just a pure question. This isn't just an off-the-cuff question. These are very, very strong questions that he has. And he's basically saying, look, what I see compared to who you say you are, there is a disparity between the two. This is my issue, God. There is no action You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. This is a very strong statement. So he says it and he says it clearly, but he does indeed listen to the response. And this is a little different than just hearing. All of you in this room were born with a sense of hearing. Are you thankful for that? You can hear. Now, there's a difference between listening and hearing, though, right? I'm going to illustrate that for you, all right? Make sure that this mic is still on so the people at Facebook can can hear this video. So you go ahead and play that video for us, all right? I'll show you the difference. So did you see the difference? So that's a baby who, who's hearing for the first time. And there are a number of these videos out now 
uh, because they, the technology is getting better and better, and they can, it's like miraculous, really. And these kids hear for the first time, you see their reaction. But did you watch the baby? So the baby's just laughing uncontrollably because for the first time, the baby can hear. But then there's silence, and the baby, is it, is it still real? Is it still going to happen? And what's the baby doing? Listening. It's waiting for a response, and then someone talks, and, oh, I can hear. It's not going away. I can hear. So the baby's kind of waiting in anticipation for the noise so that it's real. I can hear. I can hear. This is hysterical, right? And, of course, we look at it, and we get emotional, but there's a difference between listening and hearing. When you're listening, you're, it's like you're like that baby. You're like, I want to hear more. I want, to he- I want to hear the response. And this is what's going on with Habakkuk. You see it in uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Right away, you see the answer from God. And obviously, Habakkuk is listening because he writes it down for us. Uh, but you also see later when Habakkuk asks some more questions as a result of God's, um, God's answer, uh, you see he says this, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So he's waiting, he's listening, and that's a little bit different than just simply hearing. And we have a really hard time with this today. We have a hard time listening to people who we can see in front of us, much less God who we cannot see. Yes, just, just observe your own self. Um, when's the last time you sat down, watched something on television, but you had no phone in your hand, you weren't doing Instagram at the same time, you weren't answering texts or emails at the same time, all you were doing was focused on your little television screen. Or better yet, When's the last time you sat down with someone, had a conversation where you looked at them eyeball to eyeball, there was no distraction, you maintained eye contact with the individual, there was no phone, there was no nothing, it was just you and the individual having a conversation, and not only did you hear, but you were in fact listening to that person. This is a bit of a lost art today, even when we're talking human to human. And we talked about this in our last series, you know, this whole thing of disconnectedness. We've got all these devices that supposedly make our lives more connected, but they seem to be having the reverse effect. (laughs) They seem to be making us more and more disconnected. Well, imagine trying to connect with God. Imagine trying to listen to God. Psalm 46, verse 10, be still. And know that I am God. It's a very famous little passage from a psalm. Be still. Stop what you're doing. And know that I am God. He was indeed listening. And now the answers that he gets from God to his complaints are completely, completely unexpected. So if you're Habakkuk and you get this kind of answer, here's the answer. In in chapter 1, verse 5, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days 
that you would not believe even if you were told. Hey, that sounds really good. That sounds like there's something really, wow, God's just going to blow me away. You know, my, my city is, is in ruins almost. The temple's dilapidated. The worship system is shot. The leadership is corrupt. There's ungodliness all over the place. There's poverty. There's violence. There's injustice. There's indifference. There's materialism. There's all this stuff everywhere. And God's telling me, you're going to be amazed. Watch the nations. I'm going to do something you wouldn't even believe, even if you were told. Here comes, I am raising up the Babylonians. Excuse me? So the Babylonians, and he even goes into great detail, as if Habakkuk doesn't know who the Babylonians are. Uh, Jerusalem has only been a vassal city, and Judah, the whole kind of state there, if you will, has only been a vassal state to the Babylonians for the last few years under the corrupt king Jehoiakim, as if he doesn't know. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. And he goes into this description of how nasty these Babylonians are, because what will happen is the Babylonians are going to come they're going to take siege of the city. They're going to sack and burn it. They're going to take everything out of the temple. They're going to destroy everything. They're going to uh, uh, take a number of people out of there and bring them captive to Babylon. And this is the Lord's answer to corruption, injustice, indifference, violence. He's going to bring the Babylonians in to bring his wrath to Jerusalem, to Judah? What kind of a crazy answer is this? Basically, what he's saying is, Habakkuk, it's going to get worse before it gets better. This would have been a total, total shock. Maybe Habakkuk was expecting something different. Maybe he's expecting, I don't know, a pillar of fire is going to come down from the sky, and it's just going to it's going to pick off every one of these evil people and, you know, the righteous will be exalted and the unrighteous will be, will be destroyed. And, or maybe there's going to be a new king and he's going to be godly and he's going to issue in reforms, just like Jehoiakim's father, Josiah. Remember, we talked about him. Maybe this is what Habakkuk is talking about, what he wants but this is not what he gets. This is not the answer from God. The answer from God is it's going to get a lot worse before it gets any better. Wow, this is completely, completely unexpected. And what's also strange about it is that he doesn't seem to care, God, in this response as to how Habakkuk is going to take it. So, I mean, if this were us, we would say like, the prophet's perception of God is going to be that he's mean, that he's evil, that he's malevolent, that he's like, can he even handle it? You know, if, I mean, should God really tell him? I mean, like, what, what kind of a crazy answer is this? What kind of a holy God would do this? I mean, but he doesn't seem to care how Habakkuk is, is going to feel about this. In fact, he, his concern with Habakkuk is, and it goes by so fast, it's his faith. 
It's his belief. Look at it again in verse 5. I'm going to do something in your days. It was in his days that the Babylonians came. I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe. You're a prophet. You would not believe it even if you were told as if it's somehow a good thing. But then he tells him a terrible thing that will come. And this is because the concern is not necessarily how the prophet's emotions are going to do with this response. But will he believe what God is going to do? And the lesson here is that God is going to use circumstances, my friends, in our lives. He's going to use those things to grow your faith. It's not going to necessarily be to grow your emotional well-being, but to grow your faith, which is of much more value than how you may be feeling at the time. And this is what God will do. And sometimes when we cry out to God, he will say to us, it's going to get worse before it's going to get better. And sometimes that happens. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10, very famous passage of Scripture there. And this is, this is the Apostle Paul talking about himself in the third person. And he talks about how he had an experience, or he says, I know a man who had an experience where he was taken up to paradise. Some people think that maybe it was one of the times when Paul was, was brutally beaten or stoned and left for dead, not stoned on on pot, but stoned as in stoned, okay? And it may be left for dead and maybe had some kind of near-death experience or something, but he talks about how he, how he experienced for a brief time paradise and how he saw things and how he heard things that man is not permitted to tell. And that because of this and because of this kind of revelation that he experienced, there was given to him, in his own words, he describes this, a, a thorn in his flesh. Uh, and he says it's a messenger of the enemy, a messenger of Satan was given to him, presumably by God, to, to, to teach him a lesson and to show him that he needs to depend on God. So he talks about it and he says, I pleaded with God. Paul, who raised the dead, pleaded with God to take the thorn away. And three times he pleaded with him and three times God said, no, uh, my, my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient. And this is the way that Paul lived the rest of his life with this kind of thorn in his flesh. Why? Because he wants faith to grow, not necessarily Paul's emotional well-being. And this is, this is certainly valuable to have emotions and all that, but your faith is of more value. It's of more importance, and God wants to grow it, and sometimes it's going to get worse before it gets better, and sometimes God will not take the pain away, at least maybe not right away. So uh, Lisa Turkhurst, uh, whose book we sold uh, here, a few of them, uh, her new book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. This is the lady who's the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries in the U.S., which is a massive, massive organization. It's got six to eight million people viewing the content daily. She is the president of it. If you ever read Proverbs 31, some of you ladies have read that. You've got this perfect woman. 
She is like the perfect godly woman. Uh, I read some of that at weddings, you know, and challenge the bride to be, you know, and read out of Proverbs 31. So she's the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries. And this lady, in the last three years, in, in, in back-to-back-to-back succession, so first her husband was, uh, was having an affair, and she found out about it. She's the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries. And, she, and in her own words, that was the worst thing, worse than the rest of the stuff that she would experience. And then, while trying to deal with that, and while attempting to try and find healing and counsel and reconciliation, which at the beginning, it looked like it was over. It looks like there was a divorce on the papers there. He was unrepentant of the affair. She's the president of Proverbs 31 Ministries. Wow, not very exemplary, is it? Uh, As that was progressing, she found herself in terrible, terrible abdominal pain, like excruciating pain. Went to the hospital. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. And she asked God, take, just take this pain away. It was excruciating. Couldn't figure out what was wrong with her. They were going to send her home. And one doctor found through, through a number of tests that her large intestine had separated from her abdominal wall and was all tied up and wrapping itself around her and would have killed her. If, if God had, a, he, in his own words, if God had have answered your prayer and took that pain away and I sent you home, you would have died at home because your large intestine separated from your abdominal uh, wall. And they, they rushed her into emergency surgery, took out a large part of her large intestine, uh, uh, ran tests on, on a bunch of things and found that there was no cancer there. But uh, she almost died. She was in ICU for a while. All the time dealing, of course, with the situation of her husband who had an affair and who she's trying to work that out with. And now she almost dies due to this, this thing with her large intestine. And to make matters even worse... She took time off from her her ministry um, as a result of all these things that were going on. Can you imagine the things that people would write about a woman experiencing that, who's in her position? Proverbs 31, leader, chief in charge, broken marriage, health crisis, maybe God's punishing you, maybe it's your sin, maybe you deserve it. Pretty strange happening of events. To top things off, she goes for a routine mammogram and uh, didn't even need to take one. She had done them in years prior. Everything was good. But she said, well, I'm, I'm off work for the time being. I'm going to go and take care of various things. So she went and had a mammogram. They found something. They kept going, kept doing tests, and they said, you have cancer. Wow. So you go from the husband to the stomach to cancer in three years, back to back to back. Can you imagine what people would have said about the Proverbs 31 woman, the leader of the ministry? She ended up having a double mastectomy. Wow. I mean, that's intense. Um, And you say, why did that? How did that? Sometimes God uses circumstances to, to grow our faith, not our emotions. And she talks about how 
Again, if God had taken that pain away back when I had that abdominal crisis, I may have, been, may have lost my life. And she talks about how these, these kinds of events, while they didn't necessarily have a relationship with one another, in the end, her faith grew and grew and grew and grew. And there's a really good end to the story. Um, she's she's cancer-free. And uh, back on July the 4th, she renewed her wedding vows with her husband, Art. Wow. You can read about it in that book, but while you talk about a horror story that that lady went through, incredible. Sometimes God uses circumstances to grow our faith. Not just He's not just concerned about how we feel all the time, but what, is, what are you believing? And this is what he says to Habakkuk. You, you are a prophet. You would not even believe it even if you were told. And he goes into a, a, little, a little rant here, I suppose, God does, and he describes this vicious Babylonian army that is coming. What does it teach us? Sometimes, folks, God does indeed use the ungodly for his purposes. God who is holy, God who is pure, God who is righteous, God who is just. He can use who he wants, how he wants, when he wants, where he wants. He can use the godly. He can use the ungodly. He can do whatever he wants because he's God and we are not. And this is what, is, this is what his answer contains. Wow. Uh, uh, pretty, pretty difficult. Pretty difficult. Uh, another lesson. Just really basic stuff. When God answers because he does write it down even if you don't understand listen if you hear from god if you are convinced if you are persuaded that god has spoken to you in some shape or form you would be wise to write those thoughts down Maybe it's something you heard. Maybe it's something you dreamt. Maybe it's something you perceived. Maybe it's something you read in the Bible. Maybe it's something you heard in a sermon. Whatever it is, if you have that sense, God is speaking, I suggest you write it down. I suggest you do exactly what Habakkuk did and was told to do uh, because here's what happens. He, he complains, of course, Habakkuk, about the response that he gets from God. And he says this to him. In chapter 1, verse 12, he says, hold on here. Are you not from everlasting? Um, uh, you are holy. You're my God, my holy one. And you, God, have appointed them to execute judgment. So the Babylonians are going to be your agent of judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish them. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Surely these Babylonians are more wicked than we are, even down here in Jerusalem, even with all this ungodliness. You raise up them. You're holy and you use them. You have made men like fish of the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. And what happens? The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks and he catches them in his net. 
And uh, what does he do with all of his loot? He, 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 he sacrifices to what? His net. He burns incense to his net. He lives in luxury. He enjoys the choicest of food. Is he going to keep doing this? Is he going to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? That's the best you have, God? You're going to use the Babylonians to do this, to execute justice? That's the best you've got? And there he goes. He says, I will stand and watch. I'll listen. I'll wait to see what God has to say to me. And here's what God says to him in in chapter 2, verse 2. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. So you need to write it down. You need to write down what I'm telling you. You need to write it in such a way that a messenger may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. You need to wait. It it will linger. Wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. Verse 4, see, he is puffed up. Speaking of the Babylonians with the name, with the word he there. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. We'll stop there. So um, when God speaks, write it down even if you don't understand, because what God told him and what he wrote down, I'm sure he didn't understand all of it because there is a very small phrase in here that is of huge significance to you and me even today. And there's no way Habakkuk would have known that back then. I'll explain uh, this to you in a second. But how does God speak? Just, just, Just briefly. He speaks in many different ways to you. He's not going to speak the same way all the time. He's not going to speak to every person the same way all the time. As I've often told you, I've never heard an audible voice before, although I have sensed audible laughter. There was one time in my own life where, where I was, uh, you know, being pressured to make a certain decision uh, with regard to, to ministry. I was a volunteer at the time, and everybody was telling me, do this, do this, do this, do this. And I went and, and prayed about it, because uh, that's what you're supposed to do. And I literally could sense that God was laughing. Uh, and, and, you know, as if he was saying to me, good grief, what are you listening to these people for? Why don't you listen to me? You take so much stock in what they say. That's a joke. You shouldn't be doing that at all. And you know you shouldn't be doing this. This is laughable. And that's the sense that I got from God, at least at the time. Uh, So I've never heard an audible voice, but maybe you will. Maybe it'll be a a perception. Maybe it'll be you're praying and your head's going in a direction that doesn't normally go. He speaks in different ways. Maybe it'll be something you read in the Bible. That's probably the dominant way that God speaks. Sometimes he speaks through circumstance. Sometimes Sometimes he speaks through people. Sometimes he speaks through situations that are bizarre and strange, but you will get a sense at some point in your life that God is speaking. Well, write it down. Write down the thing. Um, and God will usually confirm it. It'll usually be, there'll usually be some, someone, something, some circumstance, some passage, some message, totally unrelated, comes out of nowhere, and the two seem to converge as if they're saying the same thing independently. This gives you some confidence that it could be God and God indeed who is speaking, and it will reflect his character. His character as revealed in his word, he's not going to speak to you in a way that defies or contradicts his character. That's how you know when God is speaking to you. But goodness, write it down. Write it down because it's not everyone who could say God spoke to me. (laughs) I think you'd be wise 
to write it down. Otherwise, you might discount it. Otherwise, you might think it's just bad pizza. Otherwise, you might reinterpret it. Well, if you think it's God, write it down. Write it down just like Habakkuk did because, see, the little phrase there in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, hmm, very, very significant little phrase. Uh, it's not the he is puffed up part. We know that already. See, he is puffed up, speaking of the Babylonians, his desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. Ah. Now, the Apostle Paul, hundreds and hundreds of years later, and the author of Hebrews, assuming it may not be the Apostle Paul, they pick up on this little tiny little phrase in Habakkuk 2 and 4. And they reference this verse. It's in Galatians, it's in Romans, it's in Hebrews. And they reference this verse as being a reference to the, the, the gospel story, the story of Jesus coming to the world and dying on a cross so that God could impute, could give, could graciously uh, um, uh, impute his righteousness to people by faith. The righteous will live by his faith in Romans. The righteous will live by faith in Galatians. The righteous will live by his faith in Hebrews. This idea that law and regulation will not make you righteous. It is by faith that you are declared righteous by a righteous God who died on a cross to make you that way. This is what is being said here in Habakkuk 600 and some odd years before it ever happened, you see. So it's a good idea to write it down when you think God is speaking to you because that little tiny little phrase is a reference to the story of guess who? Jesus. And this is way beyond the life of Habakkuk. This is way beyond his understanding, way beyond his grip, but he does indeed um, write it down. So even if you don't get it, even if you don't understand it, if you think you've heard from God, you should write it down. And lastly, you need to wait for it. Uh, wait for it. So in, again, in 2 and, and 3, chapter 2, verse 3, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. Wow, the end. Uh, you're talking about the end. And it will not prove false. Again, he's speaking of things way beyond Habakkuk's lifetime. It will not prove false, though it linger wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. What is, he, what is he speaking about? What is he talking about? Well, it's an appointed time. In the New Testament, we have a word for this, this kairos. It's God's time. It's not just chronological time. It's God's time. In the Old Testament, we have a word for this. It's used here where you see appointed time. It's a word uh, that means a similar thing to what we talk about in the New Testament. We pronounce it moheid. You want to try that with me? Moheid. Yeah, moheid. So that's, that's God's appointed time. And he's saying to Habakkuk, there's a, there's a moheid that's coming. And the revelation and what's going to happen, it awaits a mohed. And you need to understand that. And it's going to end up being beyond Habakkuk's lifetime. We will read that in the ensuing uh, verses. But it's an appointed time. And uh, th this is so critical for us when we're experiencing moments of suffering and times of suffering in our lives. We have to wait on God's time.
for things. He has an appointed time that is way beyond us that we don't understand in the way that he operates and the way that he does things, and we have to wait for it. Any of you, um, those of you who've had maybe good experiences growing up and you, you, you know, you get, maybe you had both parents, you were privileged enough to have both parents and they were reasonably, you know, good parents, and maybe your, maybe your mother said to you when you were, you know, a little bit rebellious and doing things and dad was out of the house, they would say, wait till your father gets home. You ever heard that expression? And sometimes you put emphasis on different words, right? You wait until your father gets home or wait until your father gets home, right? And this is what maybe, maybe a mother would say to a rambunctious kid, oh, you, wait, you just wait because when your father gets home, there's gonna be action and there's gonna be, you're gonna be dealt with right? And that could strike fear, hopefully a holy fear. Again, if your parents have been, you know, reasonably decent, you knew, okay, consequence is coming. Um, and the author, the author talks about this in his own, his own personal experience. Uh, but anyway, uh, th- it's kind of like this. You wait, there's a mohed coming. You wait until your father gets home. You wait, Habakkuk, until I deal with not only Jerusalem, but I'm going to also deal, Habakkuk, with the Babylonians who I'm using to deal with Jerusalem. Huh? He continues, and God goes into great length talking about what he's going to do to the Babylonians, talking about all of their sin, talking about their drunkenness, talking about their violence, talking about their idolatry, talking about the shedding of innocent blood. He goes into a great, great deal, a great description of all of the transgressions of the Babylonians and talks. finally finishes by talking about their idolatry. Woe to him who says to wood come to life or to lifeless stone wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it at all. And the last, last verse of chapter two, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. You wait till your father gets home. So what's he saying? He says, Habakkuk, you need to understand this is all part of a bigger, much bigger picture than what you know. It's beyond your lifetime even because the Babylonians would come in and they would take the people captive for how long? 70 years. This would outlive Habakkuk for sure. So he would not live to see even God's justice come to the Babylonians. He would not live even to see it, but he is told it is going to come. You just wait till your father gets home is is kind of what's being said here. And you need to understand Habakkuk, the Lord is in his holy temple. You know, it's like saying the doctor is in the house, right? When the doctor's in All right, we're going to have something happen here. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Everybody close your mouth because God's not finished yet. God is going to bring ultimate justice, but it waits a mohed time. It's his appointed time. And this is the hard part of suffering. So an update for you uh, who who are in the room and those of you watching on Facebook, most of you probably know the situation 
with a, a member of our church dealing with this, with this disease that has attacked and attacked and attacked for more than a year now. And so uh, everyone who's in the room right now, or almost everyone, was, was over at the hospital last week, Saturday. Uh, we were in palliative care celebrating, of course, Eliam's first birthday party, which the family could not even celebrate uh, due to the, the, this, this illness, which is just, just attacked uh, this person in our church, Alicia. And um, so we, we rushed to celebrate that party because she was moved into palliative care. And in palliative care, those of you who just know what the word means, it means, well, you care for the, the, the person in terms of their pain management, but you can no longer treat the disease. That's palliative care. Um, so uh, I'm just, just thrilled to report to you that after that birthday party, a couple of days after that birthday party, I was speaking to, to Simon, and um, uh, we speak almost every day or text every day, and we visit a couple times a week and all that. And speaking to Simon, and he was as light as a feather. I mean, he was as chipper as chipper could be. And he told me, just in technical terms, that basically there's, there's been tests done, and the results are, are confusing to the doctors, they're wondering if maybe there's an error in the result, but the, but the particular kind of cell, and it's very complex what she's dealing with. I don't understand all the technology behind it and all of the science behind it. Of course, her family understands it more than me, but basically, basically the cell count that was out of control with this disease is now down to almost zero. And they have moved her I will, I will say it just as factually as it is, they have now moved her out of palliative care and back into the place in the hospital that treats the disease. Friends, you need to understand how unusual that is and how rare that is. That does not just happen. And I pray that doctors will continue to be confused. May they be confused. May they wonder what in the world is going on. And I'm just naive enough to believe that, that the whole church coming together and being with her and praying for her and, and singing songs in public and praying in public and laying our hands on her and praying for a miracle to happen, I'm just naive enough to believe that we could be on the edge of seeing something quite wonderful happen. How many of you will agree with me to that end? Oh, come on. I need more hands than that. Yeah, let them hear what... I'm just telling you, okay, that doesn't happen too, too often. I have never seen that with that particular thing that she has fighting, is fighting. So stay tuned, everyone. Uh, there's, there's a mohade that's coming, a mohade, you see. And so we, we have to understand that there is a timing, um, and <laughs> hope is never dead, friends. It's never dead. Um, but in the end, in the end, and this is, this is where I'm sure Habakkuk would have to come to grips with it. Um, your faith is worth more than your life here. God is a lot more interested in the building of your faith than he is in your comfort and in how good your life is from here to the grave. Because, wow, this life here, again, we see this. It is so unpredictable. There's so much that can happen. There's just, I mean, it's so short. But this is not the way that, that God looks at things. 
He wants to see your faith built and built and built and built. Sometimes it's built through pain. Sometimes it's built through suffering. Because the truth is that what you take to the other side, what you take beyond that curtain of death, what you take into eternity is your faith. That's what you take. You take the things that you say, to this I hold fast. And that is in many ways beyond simple belief. Uh, 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 Joe's had sent me an article about that uh, this week from the Huffington Post. You know, sometimes belief and faith, they're a little bit different. Sometimes beliefs are subject to lots of change. But your faith is what God is interested in, and this is what he wants to see grow because this is even going to transcend your natural life here. You're going to take it to the other side. It's your faith here that decides where you're going to be in the future. It's your faith here. It's what you do with Christ here. It's what you say on this. I, 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 I hang my hat on this. I put a stake in the ground. This is the thing that is not going to change about what I believe. It's, it, this is faith we're talking about here. This is conviction that's been built here. And this transcends even life itself. Uh, the story of Job which people tend to read when they go through periods of suffering. What do you see in the life of Job? He says in Job chapter 13, verse 15, though he slay me, yet I will serve him. So even though if God takes my life, I will continue to serve him. What's he talking about there? He's talking about a faith that will even transcend death itself. Because that that is what we need, my friends. This life is so, so short. Uh, I can remember um, a scenario uh, in my ministry, and it was even before I was a pastor. I was a layman at the time. And uh, there was a string of, of sudden uh, deaths in the church amongst young people, young people. And I remember Don Manna was, was the pastor at the time. I was not working for him yet, but he would hire me a little bit later. And I remember watching Don Mann, who's one of the missionaries we support now, navigate so beautifully through this string of crises, one after another, that happened in the church. So the first person's name was Yolanda. And the second person's name was Isabel. And the third person's name was Clint. And I remember when these young people passed away. And then there was a fourth, I forget his name. He, had, he wasn't attending the church, but he, had a more, a more, he was a little more dis, uh, detached from the church, but him as well. And you're talking about funerals that are full, full, full house. Seven, 800, 900 people jammed in. I remember the funeral for this young basketball star, Clint, who, who literally, he literally dropped in his bathroom. A superstar basketball player played for Auto University. The whole school came to the funeral. The, the, the place was absolutely jam-packed. Friends, when you're the pastor of a church and young people start dropping, you wonder what in the world is going on. There were people who said, well, maybe there's a curse happening. There were people wondering what's going on. I mean, it was, it was just crazy. Who's next? people were saying. I mean, it was just crazy. One after the other after the other. Thank God, uh, Don is no stranger to suffering. Both his parents were killed in a, in a violent car crash immediately 
Uh, they were hit by a transport truck when he was just a young adult, teenager, young adult. He was studying for the ministry, was in Bible college in Peterborough. He received the news that his parents were killed by a transport truck. Um, he's no stranger to, to suffering. His father was even a pastor, pastored in Greenfield Park Pentecostal Church, not too far from here, and yet this happened to his father. So he was no stranger to suffering, and he navigated so beautifully through this because he realized that it is our faith that is more important than even what happens in this life. Peter talks about how our faith there in 1 Peter is of more value than gold. And it gets refined through fire. It gets refined through difficulty, through trial, through suffering, through persecution. And in the end, in the end, in the end, God knows what he's doing. He's telling Habakkuk, listen, the Lord is in his holy temple. Uh, he's still there. He's in the house. Wait till your, fra- your father gets home. There's a molehead coming Are you willing to wait for it? Are you willing to believe it even if it transcends your lifetime? Those of you who have young people growing up in the house, you know, probably probably eight, nine, or ten, those of you watching on Facebook as well, can I just recommend to you, if you're looking for a teaching tool to teach young kids about this, and I was so proud of so many people bringing their kids out uh, last week on Saturday to the hospital, you're looking for a teaching tool, all right? And get to a certain age, eight, nine, ten. The Chronicles of Narnia movie series. We're big fans of it in our house. My, 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 you will not find a better produced, more more interesting, more engaging presentation of the basic themes that you see in Scripture than that for children. And I challenge you to use those. You don't know, you don't have a clue how to teach your kids about God. You get them to watch that, that movie series. Again, 8, 9, 10, because there's some, there's some violence in there for sure, and there's war, and there's battle, and there's all that stuff. But I can tell you, you know, friends at home watching on Facebook, also, your kids are watching worse than that. So, so you, you, you will see in that movie series, my goodness, you see Mohaid over and over and over again. And there's one of those movies, I think it's the second one, Prince Caspian, it's called. And you see the characters are wondering where is Aslan, and Aslan is this Jesus-like lion, very obvious reference to Jesus in the form of this talking lion, you know, in the movie series, in the book series by C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, and, and they're all wondering, where is he? It's just like Habakkuk. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why are you allowing this injustice? Why are all the Narnians dying? You know, why is all this happening? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And he's nowhere. He is nowhere. They think they see him, but he's not there. And he just sort of, he's nowhere. It's like he's fallen asleep on the job. And what do they do? They go and they take matters in their own hands. And when they do that, disaster ensues. And then they realize we've got to go and we've got to put our trust in Aslan. We've got to go and find Aslan. We've got to go hunt for him. We've got to seek him. And he's the only one who can save us. And of course he does. But it's about this Mohaid thing. And there is an appointed time. Sometimes that time will even outlast our lives, our very lives that we breathe now. Are we willing to let God grow our faith? Are we willing to trust him even when we don't have the full picture? But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Everybody close your mouth because God is still on the throne and hope still lives.